0: Today's episode of Home Row is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word, and it also inspires lifelong discipleship. The CSB is equally suited for serious study or for sharing with your neighbor hearing God's Word for the very first time. Learn more at csbible.com. I'm writing.
1: I'm writing. Without the, without the, without the writing, you have nothing.
0: I'm writing. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show, and I'm your host, Jeff Metters. and today I'm so uh, thrilled to have on the show Dr. Robert Lethem. He's the author of a brand new systematic theology put out by Crossway, and I'm holding it here in my hands. Not only is it a beautiful book, but it's also filled with beautiful truths for the Christian faith. So, Dr. Lethem, how are you?
1: Very good, thank you very much.
0: And so for the people out there who don't know who you are, uh, why don't you just mind telling my listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, also where you're located in the world? Because my listeners can probably tell you don't have a Texas accent like like I do.
1: Yes, right. Well, I'm professor of systematic and historical theology at Union School of Theology here in the UK. Um, You can probably tell by my accent that I've lived in the United States for 28 years. Um, I was a pastor, a Presbyterian minister in New Jersey for five years for De- in Delaware for 17. Um, I studied at a seminary in Philadelphia and um, I taught at a number of seminaries at Westminster Theological Seminary there in Philadelphia and also at Reformed Seminary as well. So I've worked really in pastoral ministry for about 25 years. And I've also taught and written in theological seminaries as well.
0: now what's what's something that you do for fun? when you're not teaching and you've got the maybe the day off or the or the weekend off? What's something that you're doing out there?
1: Well, I would um, my main interests are cricket and music. We often go to uh, concerts, classical, baroque music in particular. Um, I'm also, uh, I like walking in the countryside and, uh,
0: reading as well. Oh, great. What, what's a What's the book you're reading right now? Anything that you'd recommend to the listeners?
1: Well, actually I'm, I'm, uh, working on two, um, on a new book myself on the Holy Spirit. So I'm reading all kinds of stuff. Um, and I'm looking forward to reading Anthony Thistleton's book on the, on the Holy Spirit in the next uh, few mm. days.
0: Oh, great. I love his uh, commentary. I think it's on 1 Corinthians. Oh, yeah. It's massive. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so so helpful when we were preaching through 1 Corinthians uh, at, at yes. our church. Well, I wanted to bring you on the show and, and talking to the people at Crossway um, because, you know, I get all kinds of different Christian writers on the show, uh, but I've not had many. I guess I would say professional, uh, writers of, of theology. Uh, Kevin Van Hooser would probably be the closest who's, who's been on the show, but with your brand new systematic theology dropping November 19th, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes. So listeners, you can go and find that there on Amazon. I thought it'd be great to talk about, um, the act of writing a systematic theology book, which is no, no easy task. And then also the importance for theology for, for writers, especially those of us who are Christian writers, uh, how important it is for us to have sound doctrine. So, so before we get into all of that, one question I always love to ask to ask my 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 guests: um, How did you become a writer?
1: Um, well, I started writing when I was about nine. Actually, um, I, at school, I wrote uh, lengthy stories of World War World War Two fighter pilots. Um, sports uh, events, mainly cricket, stuff like that, and so I, I suppose I've had a natural interest in just writing. I can fill up a, a computer screen um, in very quick time. I can't guarantee it'll make any sense, but uh, <laughs> I, can, I can do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you have written a lot. Uh, just looking through your your Amazon author page, I can see these books that are that are on my shelf, uh, especially the the Holy Trinity. Book there that uh, in scripture history, theology and, and worship, uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, your book on the union with Christ, uh, your your book in the series, uh, the Bible speaks today on the message of the person of Christ, uh, the work of Christ and the Contours of Christian theology, and so you have just a, a real wonderful collection here of books that have been so helpful to the church and so when you're writing, um, what, what are some of your writing habits and practices? And I guess the discipline's like.
1: Yes, well, I think the key is organization. Uh, you've got to have um, good organization because so many things can crowd in upon you. Um, if I, a project such as this, which is a very big one, um, you work out how much time you have available in total. Uh, and as it is when I preach, actually, I try to think first of the big picture. Um, the overall structure uh, a sermon I usually think of the main points right away and so it is I think with systematic theology and the other books I've written I, I like to um, view the area as a whole and then work out what the best um, division of it is and, uh, logical something which is logical and which flows naturally and which is also uh, true to what you're writing about reflects it accurately as accurately as you can, and then, of course, it it it, um, it involves uh, just simply setting aside time each day or each week, whatever it may be, and sticking to the program. Just keep
0: going. Do you have any any uh, writing quirks or oddities or rituals? that like you always have to have start off with the same song or make sure you have the right tea or or anything like that or it's just all business
1: no not at all um, i just uh, just start start going yeah
0: just get to <laughs> well, work obviously
1: one has to do a lot of reading as well first and a book like this is not some while i was working on it five or six years um, you could say it's the fruit of several decades of right. thought so um, it's something which I've always had in my mind uh, for the future as the years tick by. Uh, and so, so naturally, subconsciously, you're, you're thinking of it as well. What I also like, um, I like things with which are large-scale structures too. Uh, the music of people like Mahler. Um, I reread the the novel, well, series of 12 novels by Anthony Pohl, A Dance to the Music of Time, which is three million words. Wow. 12 novels, a kind of semi-autobiographical account of the kind of decline of the sort of lower-level aristocracy over a period of 50 years. Uh, And that that gives you a hit, uh, see how other people handle large scale structures and maintain, con- um, coherence, continuity throughout.
0: Yeah. Wow. I can't, uh, it, it is hard to fathom. Uh, you know, I've written a couple books, but only around 200 pages each. And so to have a book that's weighing in at over a thousand pages, um, and taking all of that time. So I can't imagine working on something for five years, uh, what was it? I mean, that's a long time. So if you look over that, what were some of the hurdles just to, to keep going? And, and how did you over overcome any kind of writer's block or, or anything like that?
1: Well, to be honest, um, I, well, I hope I'm always honest, but I, I've never encountered that myself, uh, fortunately. Um, and um, yes, I, I, I don't really think I did have any hurdles to smelt. The main questions were, uh, relating to it, the organisation, where certain things should uh, crop up early or later in the work, uh, particularly the doctrine of Scripture. Often systematic theologies begin with a section on Scripture. Um, I've taken a different tack and started with God on the grounds, a number of grounds. One, God precedes Scripture, obviously, uh, and secondly. Um, In our own day, with so many religions around and with the decline and you might say disintegration of the effect of the Christian worldview, uh, particularly here in Western Europe, um, you have to ask when you say the Bible is the word of God, who is the God whose word it is? Uh, And so I thought very much of that. Uh, and uh, questions of that nature were the ones going through my mind, I think,
0: most yeah. of the time. Yeah, and with writing, you know, in in the realm of theology, I I know that sometimes people can have um, the thoughts of, well, should I write a book like this? Like I think of my my sister in Christ, Jen Wilkin, with her books uh, on the attributes of God. A very popular level of books and very well done. Um, and... You know, there's. I'm sure she wrestled with the temptations of why would I write these books? There's already, you know, the attributes of God by Pink, and we've already got knowledge of the Holy by Tozer. Um, so, you know, and her writing these new books. And so, I know you talk about this a little bit in the introduction um, about writing another systematic theology. Um, and so, how did you, I guess, overcome that in your mind? Going, hey, I I do have something helpful to contribute to the church. Um, in this day, in this age, in this time, and it's okay that we already have, I mean, who knows how many systematic theologies there are on the planet, and why it is helpful for us to have another one. What what would you say to somebody like, why do we need another systematic?
1: Yes, I would say also, why do we need another sermon, perhaps, or even another prayer? Um, Each one presents a different perspective on the Gospel, um, in this case, I yes, I suppose that was a question in my mind. But when I picked up other si- recent systematic theologies written, say, over the last 30 years, I realized that I was coming at it from a quite different angle than almost anyone. I think only one exception, um, Douglas Kelly. Um, all the others were approaching it largely from the standpoint of Exegeting the Bible, but without also a uh, a thoroughly informed and extensive interaction with the way theology and biblical teaching had been understood throughout the Christian Church. Because my view of systematic theology, some think it's really um, gathering together the teaching of the bible in, in a systematic way and of course that is part of it but it's also the gathering together the exposition of the entailments of the bible that is to say not only what the express statements of scripture are but all that they imply and in fact entail and how they interact together and then of course in 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 dialogue with the way these things have been understood historically, and of course too in in uh, contrast to those ideas which have been advanced, which threaten the gospel as well. So it's it's really a, I think a quite a, a complex um, a complex thing, and most of the others, virtually all the others did not really interact too extensively with, say, the fathers, the medieval theologians, Reformation and post-Reformation, and indeed many of them not not too extensively with um, theologians today. Yeah. But were more or less sort of a, I suppose you could say and very invaluable for that reason, and not at all criticizing that method, but they were mainly kind of extended and perhaps more sophisticated biblical expositions.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it is. The more that we, um, the more the church continues and the more the Lord tarries, the way, not that our theology is changing um, from what's revealed in the scriptures, but we have further explanations because now yeah. we have, like that's what I love, just flipping through the table of contents of, of your work, you do have the interactions of, of others throughout church history um, and, and including things that are typically not included in other books. One, because of either time, um, those works were either not written yet or were just being written, um, or the tradition and all that. So I love how your work spans, um, so many of these categories and I think will it will be helpful. And I, and I loved what you said on, on page 35. And so I'm just going to read this quote when talking about what theology is. And I, I just love how important this is the last paragraph on page 35 where you said, Theology is more than the accumula- accumulation of biblical texts. and involves the interaction of a range of realities to which the cumulative witness of the Bible directs us. It is the entailment of, quote, the sense of scripture as Gregory of... Nanzianzus described it a theoretical and meta-theoretical account of the overall interrelationship and inherent connections of the holistic biblical teaching. Man, there was a lot in that, in that um, sentence, uh, in those two sentences. So walk 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 us through that. Uh, so for so here's here's what I have in mind. Why I was so excited to get you on the show. Uh, I know that some, from my listeners, there'll be a range of people who who write. There'll be people who write um, the articles for the Gospel Coalition, like myself, uh, people who write for Desiring God, people who write on their church blogs, uh, people who write maybe for the church email newsletter. And then you've got people who do what's called Instagram microblogging. Have you ever heard of that, Dr. Lethem? Um, No, I haven't. Are you familiar with Instagram?
1: I've heard of it. Yes. I'm not much into social media. Yes.
0: Yeah. So it's just, it, you mainly post pictures um, and then you have a little captions, a little description of all these pictures. And now what's taken off is uh, short little posts under these pictures and people are using them to share encouragement, uh, do a little mini devotional and all that kind of stuff. And so I think the temptation for people that do a lot of popular level writing is to not dip into theological works um, to maybe just read other other books that are kind of in their same atmosphere and, and not get into theological work and so I think it 's so important for them to read theology, but i 'd love for you to to walk us through that. so when you say theology is more than the accum- accumulation of biblical texts can you can you expound on that for us
1: yeah, so I think it might sh- surprise and perhaps even shock a lot of people to Know that the vast majority of heresies, heresies which are those things which if they were true would falsify the Christian faith. They would go right to the heart of the gospel and blow it apart if they were true. The vast majority of heresies up till the 18th century were um, derived from people who simply quoted scripture. I'm working on, at the moment, on um, editing a couple of volumes. A new There's going to be a new critical edition of the complete works of John Owen, um, which is in uh, process at the moment. And Owen was opposing uh, the Sassanians. And the Sassinians held to the supreme authority of the Bible. And they quoted the Bible. But they did so, actually, to the exclusion of everything which the church had taught before. Uh, They rejected the teaching of the church on the grounds that it was human words, human language, which had been added to the word of God. And so they had a rock solid, you might think, on uh, doctrine of scripture, but they went on to deny every doctrine of the Christian faith. Uh, Everything, virtually everything. The same thing occurred uh, in the early church. Uh, People may well have heard of Arius. Um, there was another man, in, followed who, uh, a few decades later, who was more, uh, more uh, effective than Arius, called Eunomius. And they denied that uh, the, the, the son was one with the father. Uh, in other words, they denied the deity of Christ. And they said, look, the uh, word Trinity is not in the Bible. So how can we believe it? And that was in the context of Gregory of Nazianzus, to whom you referred a few minutes ago, said we believe in the sense of Scripture, the overall teaching of Scripture viewed as a whole in its totality and all that it entails and all that it implies demands uh, that we believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, one with him from eternity. Um, and so I think that's that's the question you can... Um, Various groups, down through centuries, have said they rely on the Bible only and have gone on to repeat virtually every heresy that arose during the early church. So, in in effect, God has, or Christ, uh, as we read in Ephesians, uh, when he ascended, gave gifts to the church of apostles, pastors and teachers and so forth, that we should no more be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but uh, grow and the Church grow and into the unity of the body of Christ, um, one in faith and one in love. Um, so that I think is really stresses the necessity of thinking very carefully, coherently and thoroughly about the faith in an ordered way. So that, um, because something which goes wrong in one area can very easily impinge on another. And if that happens, you find that people are drifting away uh, from the central truths of the gospel.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And the dangers, we've seen them all throughout church history and and debated and all the councils and, and given to us in the creeds. Um, when, when you say in that definition that I read about the theoretical and meta-theoretical account, when when I read that the first time, I had my I think my head spun like an owl when I read meta-theoretical. <laughs> and so, walk me through that: the theoretical and meta-theoretical account of the overall interrelationship and inherent connections of the holistic biblical teaching.
1: Yes. Well, the thing is, this is the revelation of God, which is. In, which is f- really far greater in its scope than our minds can p- f- fully gather. I mean, it stretches us almost to breaking point. And your response there is exactly, I think, what's, what's right, that there are circumstances where um, you know, we find totally mind-boggling. Uh, and particularly that comes to expression in the doctrine of the Trinity, in the Incarnation, uh, and in other matters, too, um, because what you what you're gathering together is, is teaching from scripture, which expresses the fact that, for example, in the incarnation, that Jesus Christ, in terms of his personal identity, is the eternal son of the father, one with the father and the Holy Spirit, indivisibly, uh, eternally. But yet he is taken into personal union Human nature, so that, a human nature, so that he, the eternal Son, now has a human body and human soul. Now there's a whole range of questions which follow from that, quite naturally, and not only have been asked, but would be asked, and are being explored, and will be explored. And and for that, the early Church had to had, had to borrow language, borrow terminology which had been used in other ways outside uh, the Christian faith and use them to express in some way what the overall teaching of scripture um, demanded of the nature of God and the nature of the person of Christ for example Uh, and um, you know as you as you go on, there's, 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 we find that we lack adequate language often in which to express that. Uh, so, from periodically, from time to time, uh, the, the church and theologians have been forced to come up with language and terms to describe what they know to be, be true, what the church has always believed, what it has also. Uh, being a, a central point in its worship, but uh, is uh, terms which are needed to articulate uh, something which is transcends the possibilities of definition. So those those are the kind of questions which I'm referring to by by those kind of uh, terms.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I wonder, you know, as you think about um, theological development throughout um obviously my context is is the American church and now today i wonder if you could speak to some of the maybe just popular level evangelical um writing and the things that maybe you see and what are some areas of theology and maybe maybe you experience this just from interacting with students over there um at the university and in seminary um Areas of theology where you think it would be very helpful for writers to um, to grow in or develop in.
1: Well, uh, you mentioned the book I wrote on the Trinity. Um, second edition of that has just been released. Uh, actually, just less than a week ago. But in that, um, I address a number of uh, developments which have occurred in the previous fifteen years since the first edition was published. There's been a massive amount of writing in that area. And, and, and some may be familiar with the fact that there was a controversy two or three years ago online. I didn't follow that myself, but only dribs and drabs. But I know what it was about um, relating to the relation of the son to the father eternally. And I think part of the problem there was the lack of familiarity with the historical uh, debates. And the fact that some people are coming at the at the, at the issue purely from um, exegesis of the Bible, without proper uh, informed um, understanding of what went on when the church had to gra- had to grapple with those things uh, several times in its history, I think that that sort of highlighted that particular problem. I think.
0: Yeah. I could, yeah, absolutely. That that was one of the big things that I I thought of um, as well. And I, I, you know, with I I don't know what it's like over there in in the UK since I've I've never never been, but sometimes over here in the US um, you do hear theology as kind of spoken of as dry, um, yeah. as you know, not um, really all that important. It's all about just the practical, you know, application of the scriptures, and so. When, when I have, you know, speak to other writers, um, and they just, well, I don't know, theology doesn't have the pop and zip that uh, other writing does, what do you say to people who who throw that, um, that accusation towards theology?
1: I would um, bring back the statement by J.I. Packer, Jim Packer, in the first article he ever had published. And he wrote, amongst other things, it was a review of a particular book, which had been Written then, the default position of the keen Christian with little interest in doctrine is Pelagianism. Now, Pelagius uh, was a, uh, a, a British monk in the early 5th century. And he believed that, for, uh, pe- that uh, humanity, after the fall, retained the ability to respond to the gospel, apart from the grace of God. In other words, the fall into sin had not irreparably damaged them so much that uh, they could, of themselves, apart from God's grace, repent and believe. So effectively, it was a a, 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 a minimal view of the impact of sin. But what it what it did was it, it did away with the need for grace. Did a need for the the, the, uh, the, the dire need for uh, the work of the Holy Spirit to change and transform us, and so it led to effectively to moralism, and to a kind of activism which basically can be summed up as "Let's try harder," and that is destroys the gospel, because the gospel says that we are dead in trespasses and sins, and that it's God who makes us alive together with Christ, and he does so, of course, for good works which he's prepared beforehand. But those are the fruit of faith and the fruit of the grace of God. Um, so consequently, if people are determined to live the, live what they call the Christian life, but have little interest in doctrine, the grave danger which threatens is that their focus is going to be on their own efforts and their own activism. And in fact, by turning away from the, uh, the, an interest in theology, they are going to neglect uh, the grace of God uh, because that is really what theology is about. Yeah.
0: Amen. Amen.
1: So in other words, the gospel is at stake. And quite simply, if that trajectory continues, you will find that the evangelical churches in a generation or so will have been
0: um, really crippled. Yeah. Mm. Theology is so important, and it matters. And this is why books like yours um, are so needed, because there, we know there are, are lots of theological textbooks out there that are incredibly challenging to read. Yeah. um for the normal uh, person in, in the pew i mean as a pastor seminary grad i mean there's things i've had to read i'm like what is this even saying yeah. um this this if i may uh,
1: i think it's important to add here that in writing this naturally you you run uh, part draft chapters past various people and i ran it past a number of well-known scholars I also ran it past uh, some ministers as well to ensure that I was reaching pastors who would find it valuable in their own work. But the one person who read the entire manuscript before the editorial process began uh, was someone who's probably late 30s, 40, who teaches physics in high school in Cardiff uh, near here. Uh, because what I wanted to ensure was that what I wrote was intelligible to somebody who was not a, a preacher, a theologian, or stu- a theological student or a scholar, somebody who was simply a member of the church, who obviously had an interest in reading, who obviously clearly was intelligent, um, And uh, but to reach people like that, uh, I wanted to run it past him to ensure that what I'd said was reasonably intelligible. And if he had any questions to let me know as well, which he did to a very great extent, a lot of questions. So that is basically the aim of the book. It is of course, intended to impact, um, theologians, ministers, students, but I'm aiming too for, people in the pew as well. Not simplistically, but by writing as far as I can in a direct, concise, and um, uncluttered way, as far as is humanly possible.
0: Yeah, and I I think you achieve that in this this regard, especially what you were just talking about in the conciseness. You cover... A lot of topics, um, but in a very succinct and I feel like um, sufficient way. And I know readers, you'll you'll just want to go pick this up. And especially, I'm sure you can go to Amazon or go to Crosser's website and you can scan the the table of contents. But you'll find that he covers uh, Doctor Lethem covers so much stuff in a very short um, economy there. Like especially on the sinlessness of Christ, um, it's only six pages, but sufficient in going through it and, and teaching. And I had to flip right to the page, um, about aliens, about extraterrestrials. <laughs> and so, and so that is not something you see often. in it's just like, I don't think Calvin addresses, um, extraterrestrial life in the yep. institutes. Uh, I don't think Anselm does either, but maybe, maybe he does. I don't but know. they're there
1: and they're there in the Bible.
0: Yeah, so so walk us through so that that might peak uh, listeners there. They might just go and stop listening and go by your theology now when you talk about ET. So walk walk us through extra the extraterrestrials here in your systematic theology.
1: Well, I don't want to spoil the party, um, but um, it's it's there. There's uh, there's two or three pages, and it, yeah, you know, it's it's a topic. This is the point. It's a topic which has come up for discussion in the last you no. Know, Dec- last decades after space exploration began and after more powerful telescopes and so on have got gone out and, and movies as well to boot. Um, and uh, stuff has been written in, on it from a Christian perspective as well. in uh, a friend and colleague of mine wrote a couple of articles in the journal Evangelical Quarterly, and there were articles too, so many of you will know first things. Uh, there's been some stuff in there over the years as, as well, but um, yes, I don't want to overly focus right. on that. It's it's a side question, but yes. it is something which um, you know which is which is of contemporary interest.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, and what I love about the book is that you do go down some of these side roads that come up that are important. Uh, you address them and spend, I think, an appropriate amount of time on them and then come right back to getting us through to the meat of of the book and and what we need to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, And so and what I love about this book too is that I can't imagine a lot of people um, are going to sit down and read a systematic theology textbook cover to cover um, well, if so,
1: if they read really it cover to cover, it might be the time to consider perhaps arranging an appointment to see a clinical psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> it's something you can really dip into and read a section, but the whole thing, and one go, well, you'd have to be. Uh, uh, a particular kind of person to do that, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I just can't imagine doing that. But what I love is since your table of contents um, and the way you've arranged the book and the large scope of it is so clear, is that if questions come up on social media about about the uh, you know about the question, could Jesus have sinned, and that you could flip right to the part of Christology and you could go right to the section on the peccability or impeccability of Christ, and then be done. Read read those six pages, and then and then put it back on the shelf. Or if questions come up about you know something around the doctrine of election, uh, you can skip right to that section and 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 see those those doctrines. So I love just how how clear it is and how how well you've laid it out. And that takes a lot of we work. Have, we have tried
1: also to, of course, in, you mention um, those topics to interact with fairly and respectfully with positions at which we disagree, um, so for example on election there's a number of different views which are advanced there which which I personally don't agree with, but I try to uh, present them and give reasons why um, they, I think they are um, wrong. And then again, the, the sinlessness of Christ, there's a question which has arisen and very popular over the last century or so, the idea idea that Christ in the Incarnation took into union a fallen human nature. Um, Now, you you have to discuss that and consider it, but it's important also to point out why it has become so popular, which it has. Uh, There are factors about it which have a certain appeal and could sound convincing. If presented simply in their own light. But if you view it in that wider perspective, you may see that there are problems with it, far-reaching problems. So it's important that other positions are considered, and considered fairly and reasonably, not simply dismissed out of hand. Um, So for example, Church of Rome, I, I, I consider their teaching on many things, many of which we agree with, the Trinity, the deity of Christ. And so on, right. but where we disagree, where I disagree with them, their justification, um, the, the mass, um, the authority of the Pope, and so forth. It's important to understand why they take that position, um, not caricature it, present it out of their own works, and consider it with um, with, with fairness, because only then do you have only then can you properly. Uh, understand your own position and and why it is if you simply fire away at it from from the hip you're not really adequately coming to terms with what the other perspective argues and in doing so you're not therefore able to deal with that perspective either you may think you're safe and, and sure but in fact your position is actually weaker because you've not considered it fairly mm.
0: For, for the listeners out there who you know not everybody um can go to seminary um not everybody should go to seminary so l- let me ask a, a two a two part question um how should you know how should someone know how could someone know that they should pursue theological education and then after that um how how could someone know that they have a a gift or a leaning or a towards academic writing, scholarly research, um, as opposed to popular-level writing? Well, in one sense, a very wide
1: sense, every Christian is called to theological study in the sense that, um, by virtue of the faith, we trust and love God and will therefore want to know him better. And that, indeed, is theology. It's getting to know God through in and through Jesus Christ. So we're all engaged in that. And that's the purpose of theology, really. Theology belongs to the church, not to the university or the seminary, uh, or an independent seminary, but to the church, because it's there to lead us in understanding God, Christ, the gospel, and our place in it and in the world. Now, and if you're talking about formal theological study at the seminary, um, I think, what, again, it's a question of understanding where your gifts lie. And that is something which is is or should be worked out in the context of the church, um, in the context of um, knowing that, uh, you know, well, it, it's a result of love because we are called to love one another. And love looks to the interests of others. And lo- in love, we seek to build one another up and And this is the way, really, to discover where your gifts are. if uh, if you're if you seeking to build each other up, you'll soon find uh, whether your gifts lie in uh, the formal study of theology or in in mercy ministry, or in encouragement, in prayer, or whatever it may be. Uh, and that should be really worked out with, with with church and so forth. As for academic study, of course, People have to do well academically in their theological, formal theological studies uh, for that purpose. And, all, and, and one thing too, I think, is the, um, the command of language. This is, this is impo- very important. It is vital for preachers to be able to communicate their message clearly so that the congregation can understand what they're saying. But conversely, I think the same thing is true for academic theologians. I mean, I could name some renowned historical theologically theologians. One of whom, with I'm working on his writings now, lived uh, 350 years ago. Um, their language is is convoluted, and it raises questions about um, it, do they have mastery over their own, la- own language? If not. Uh, you question some of the other things. which yeah. they, the, the, If they can't master their own language, have they really mastered uh, the other
0: th- things too? That's good. Are there, are there books that you've uh, maybe recommended throughout the years for people who want to, to develop their writing more? Or maybe it's advice you would give to a, to a seminary student for how to improve their writing. Uh, what, what counsel would you give?
1: Well, I'd re- uh, read at two levels. One, uh, good, uh, you know, r- read read uh, uh, a a top rate ranked novel, for example. I've I already mentioned Anthony Powell, uh, Dance to the Music of Time. That kind of stuff. Uh, become familiar with, good, you know, people become good preachers if they hear good preachers. People become better writers. The better the writing they imbibe, that and also the more popular kind of writing, which you get in maybe in the tabloid press, for example, which is absolutely direct, straight, and 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 um, so so that in a sense you 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 can you can master the language on two different levels, speaking simply and directly, and also. perhaps mas- um, developing more in in a more developed and sophisticated command at the same time. Uh, speeches of Churchill, for example, are a good thing to read, some, some, or, or even Ronald Reagan has a mastery of language, a wonderful communicator. Um, he, I, I saw him give a speech to the, I think it was the ha- Combined House of Commons and Lords Flawless, without a single note, uh, in front of him. Um, leaving aside politics, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, or anything like that, it was it was masterly. Um, that kind of thing, I think, is so. Um, the the be- and if you want to read a good theology, which is uh, written like that, John Calvin Institutes. It was he wrote in Latin and French, four hundred and fifty-five hundred years ago um well, four hundred and fifty years ago. Uh but even in the English translations, you have it, it just speaks directly right across the years, right across the centuries.
0: Um uncluttered and clear. Yeah, absolutely. I have a copy of the Institutes, the 1541 French edition sitting right here on my desk from from Banner of Truth, just you know, slowly reading through that and enjoying that. Yeah. Calvin was super clear and he did not waste, he did not waste his words. No. Yeah. Well, Dr. Letham, thank you so much for coming on the show and for talking about the importance of theology for, for writing a, a very helpful, a systematic theology that I can't wait. I'm not going to sit, I'm not going to read it cover to cover, but I'm going to, to resource and to, to references I've already done already and I've just really, really enjoyed it. Um, And you can go, listeners, in the show notes, you can go find links to his new book, Systematic Theology, just released from Crossway. You can find that there in your podcast app. Just swipe up, and you'll see the notes there to this book and also to his Amazon author page. And you can find links to my books as well. And if you're able, go and leave a review there in your podcast app. You'll just see those stars at the bottom. And just click five stars or four, three, one, whatever. Just leave a review. Uh, whatever you want, and it's going to help the show spread to more people. So, thanks for coming on the show, Dr. letham It was great well, having you. Thank you very much. And as always, listeners, let's just keep writing.